you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It is the next episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Waits, founder of Fearless Business and obviously host of this amazing podcast here. We get great guests on the show, just like Simon Alexander Ong, who uh, is an award-winning coach, a motivational speaker. He's been interviewed by the lights of Sky News, BBC and Forbes. And there's obviously no pressure on me today, is there, Simon, to uh, to match up to those amazing um, uh, interview platforms. So welcome to the show, Simon. Robin, thank you so much for having me on your show. So we, one of the things which you coach people around is like you are, you are one of the most positive high energy people that I know, Simon. So, um, which is why it's such a pleasure to be able to get you onto the the podcast. Cause I know that over the last couple of years, since we've been running the fearless business Mm. podcast, it's been quite challenging for a lot of the small business owners out there. Um, and so one of the things I want to dive straight into is around this concept of like energy management. And this is Mm. something which I know you're very strong on from a coaching perspective. So talk to me about what you've seen in the small business community over the last couple of years and what you feel is like still required from people to kind of manage their energy better. Sure. So Robin, I'm going to start with sort of the work I do at a broad level, which touches on energy management and then narrow it down uh, to what I've seen in the last 18 months specifically. So ever since I started coaching individuals, whether they were entrepreneurs, corporate professionals, uh, those in the media or creative industries, what I've noticed is that every time they came to me to explore coaching, I noticed that many of them were lacking energy. Many of them were leading very hectic and busy lives. And so they never had the time to focus on what is most important. And it's something that I've noticed amongst the most ambitious leaders uh, across most industries is that there's so many things they want to do. Yet when challenged to slow down, to step back, to disconnect, they always reply with the same words. I just don't have the time. I can't afford to take a break. And that leads to what I've noticed, Robin, in the last 18 months, is so many more people have been experiencing this burnout, Zoom fatigue. I even came across a news article recently on the BBC that said more companies are now looking to give their employees longer holidays because they're seeing the impact of overwork and burnout In a world now in which it is becoming harder to differentiate the lines between work and play, especially when you are working from home. And that's what I'm seeing a rise of, is the fact that we think productivity is doing more and more and more. And we've lost the understanding that true productivity is really about how we can manage our energy so we don't just survive but we can thrive. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I I was aware of this sort of energy shift, in, especially in the small business community, even before COVID was around. Mm. 
I was already seeing this like pre-COVID. I think that COVID's gone and amplified mm. it. And where we've got all these different social media platforms and media channels and outlets, um, you know, we're kind of forced to adopt all of these different things. And I think, unfortunately, COVID came along and it was the straw mm. that broke the camel's back. So do you think it was mm. more of an amplifying effect or do you think that COVID is, is the thing which has really kind of, you know, strung people out? Definitely. I think COVID, if anything, has accelerated so many things that were going to happen anyway, uh, but it made it happen overnight. So there were many companies, for example, that said, we can never move to a pure working from home culture yet. There are a lot of things that we have to do first, and it's a big obstacle for us to do that in the short term. Yet that is exactly what happened when lockdown started. People across the world had no choice but to work from home and companies and businesses had to adapt. Now, when we look at burnout, there has been, I think, two consequences of COVID. The first is for those who haven't been able to benefit from COVID in terms of the way they work, they have experienced that burnout feeling. They've been working harder and longer than they did pre-COVID. And I think a lot of that, Robin, has to do with the fact that many of us don't know how to set a structure of working when we're working remotely. It is new for many of those in the corporate world. I, I, on, on that note, so I hope it's okay to just jump Go in. On. So on, you've just reminded me of something. So I had a, a friend of mine who, um, another coach, and mm. um one of the things which she said was, because she used to go and work at a co-working space. And of course, obviously that shut down immediately. Mm. And um, she's, and she said, but I still commute. I was like, what do you mm. mean? And, and she said that, so it used to take her 45 minutes on the tube to get from a house to the co-working space. But that twice a day, the, de- the working day and home life being punctuated by that commute, she said was actually, she didn't realize at the time, but it was invaluable to her. Yeah. So immediately she had these two weeks, which turned most of us inside out when COVID hit, mm. where we were locked down and all of our family around were home, having to homeschool and trying to adapt, you know, and we're spending more time with the people that we love, but more time yeah. with them than we, we used to not traveling, not doing the commute. Mm. And she said that all she does now, and she still does it, is she would go out for a walk for 45 minutes before she went and then sat at her (laughs) desk, you know, which, you know, her dining room table. But that Mm. was enough just to reset, to go that shift from life into work. And then back again, at the end of the day, she would do the 45 minute walk, but in reverse. Mm. It's essential because I think, what we've realized is many of us have seen for the first time how we lack the discipline to organize our time effectively. You know, there's a great quote, and I can't remember who said it. And the quote goes, time is what we want the most, but we use the worst. And before COVID, I used to share this example, Robin, in which I said, if you were working for someone and they said to you, you've got a day off, do whatever you want. You've got a day off. Now, for many of us, when we have that day off, what do we typically do with it? We may have a lion. We're like, yes, we finally got that one day off. We got an extra day and it's not going to count as holiday. So I'm going to have a lion. And then when we get up, what do we do? We turn on the TV, we check our emails, we check our social media. And before we know it, it's already mid-afternoon. And most of that time has already gone. What COVID has done is it's amplified that. 
suddenly you've got all your commuting time back. Suddenly you've got all this time where you wouldn't have to be in meetings back to you. But unless we have understood how to manage it, it has been to our detriment. And because we haven't used it well, things pile up. We feel more pressure. We feel more stress. But for those of us who have used it well, to have used that time to go inward, to understand what is it we really want? Am I happy with where I am? What's happened is those who have done that have started to make better decisions. And so we're starting to see this in the Western world. And I think it was a term that was first coined in America, the great resignation. Now, what it's telling us is that we have this moment in which so many people are now resigning from their jobs to pursue things that are much more fulfilling. And for me, those are the people that have began to use their time more wisely. They've used it as a as an opportunity to really reflect on where they are and where they want to be. I saw a lot of people, this is me speaking personally as a you know service client business, business myself, actually, and that makes perfect sense what you just said that, obviously, it would do. You're Simon Alexander, you know a lot about this stuff. Um, but who they were all of a sudden, because as a business coach, mm. I saw people who are very binary in terms of their way of thinking about their business. business. It was either disaster that, you know, mm. we, things are going to shut down. I've got it like it was backs against the wall or actually the clients that ended up coming to towards moving towards fearless were the mm. ones that were like, right. Almost like you said, they've made that decision mm. to commit. Like I'm so committed to my business. Now is the right time to work with a coach and mm. really kick on from a growth perspective. So I hadn't, I hadn't put two and two together. I don't think at the time <laughs> as to like why all of a sudden we did so well then mm. and why our clients, you know, because the clients were the ones that did really well, were just so much more focused. Mm. Um, not to say that they weren't struggling with some of the things that she said about feeling stretched and starting yeah. to feel that burnout. And you talked about some of the warning signs there. But what are, apart from being kind of almost being forced to make that decision, mm. how, what are the first sort of steps which you can take to start to almost force that pivot to happen? Because some people mm. are quite happy being stuck. They are. And I think this is an experience many come to regret, is that we believe mistakenly that if we stay in what we're doing because it gives us security, because it pays the bills, that is an untruth because what COVID has shown us, what the global financial crisis has shown us is that what you think is stability at any given moment, that rug can be swept away from your feet because you're relying on one single source of income. That is not going to work. It is like putting all of your money into one stock in the market. Now, if that stock does well, great. But if the stock collapses, so does your entire livelihood because all of your eggs went at one basket. And so when you start to embrace entrepreneurial thinking, what you realize is that you always have to expect the unexpected. And as you were sharing just now, Robin, about how some clients started to come to you to fearless business and to want to see coaching, that to me is a great example of a term that Nassim Taleb calls anti-fragile. Fragile is the quality of people breaking down and giving up 
when faced with shocks and challenges. Whereas anti-fragile is that ability to actually become stronger because of challenge. It's not that you don't face challenge, it's that you use them as fuel in order to grow and develop yourself into someone that is bigger than the challenge you face. It's one of the things I'm struggling to sort of comprehend here is how mm. much of that like sits in the heart and how much of it happens up here. Because I believe that determination is up here and it's the heart, mm. is the passion, which kind of sets you out on that journey. It is how much of that is sort of true, but and what's the balance? How do you get the balance right with it? Definitely. I think when it comes to decision and direction, your heart will always lead you to where you need to be. Not necessarily to where you want to be, but always to where you need to be. So that's where I think it's powerful to seek counsel from our heart. There is a there is a saying that goes, the longest journey we make is the inches from our heads to our hearts. And there's a reason for that. It's because our heart carries within it an infinite amount of wisdom that when we quieten the mind, we can listen to that. Now, where the mind comes in for me, Robin, is the planning and the strategy. The heart will give you the vision, but the mind will help you get there. And it's understanding the dance between the two that can help you move forwards in a way that is in flow for you, in a way in which you are not constantly facing hurdles and obstacles, but in which you see them, but trust that things will work out because in the end, they always do when you follow your heart. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, actually, as you're saying that as well, Simon, there's a, a massive part for me, which is about, is, is a massive contributor to this burnout, which people have experienced mm. over the last couple of years, especially purely down to the fact that they haven't allowed uh, enough of the right mm. space for both the head and heart to be able to yeah. figure out what it is that they need. Like, how do you fuel those? Mm. And so it, it was saying, which um, I don't know where, whether it came from him originally, but Dan Priestley mm. always says environment dictates performance. But if your totally. environment is constantly like busy and you're having to use too much of this all the time, you're not mm. making enough space for this to be able to design what that vision looks like and to feel what that vision looks mm. like either. So how, much, how important is that space? Environment is absolutely critical. Uh, you know, I often get asked, what is the fastest way to experience success in our life and business? And it is simply this, Robin, create an environment around you that makes it impossible not to succeed. And James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, wrote that environment is that invisible force that shapes your thinking and what you see as possible. And that tells us how big of an influence it has. You create your environment and then your environment creates you. And when we think about our environment, it is not just the people we spend time with. It is what you watch, who you listen to, who you follow on social media, your physical environment, your digital environment. All of these environments have a subconscious impact on your mindset and it shapes your thoughts, your behaviors and your actions. So I think it sounds to me like one of the biggest sort of pieces of advice mm -hmm. that we can offer, or you can offer Simon, is to actually disrupt 
your natural environment because it could be the mm. natural environment which you which you find yourself in now which is creating a lot of this mess so mm. find creative ways to get out of that environment and do something different and try out lots of different things totally i mean i'll share robin an example of a uh, a client i've i recently took on board and when he was planning his week and his month he didn't feel particularly inspired and he would be planning things that he already knew he could do and so I wanted to challenge his thinking. I wanted to get him to think bigger, bolder, and more braver. And so I set him the challenge of doing his plan in a different physical environment each time. And to guide him, I gave him three suggestions for his first three venues. The first venue was at the Ritz Hotel in London. So he goes along, he orders a cup of tea and he sits down at the Ritz and he gets out his book and he starts planning his week ahead. And he sends me a WhatsApp picture and he says, Simon, doing that plan in the Ritz hotel, seeing the grandeur of this environment, I have never felt so inspired writing a plan for my week as I have done this morning. And all that required was a simple switch in his physical environment. Amazing. What though you mentioned there were three things which you got into. What do you mind me asking? What were the other two? Sure. The second one was to do his plan outside in nature, somewhere that he could have great views. So he chose Primrose Hill. So he sat on the bench there to plan his week. No technology, no distraction, just him and his notebook. And the last place I got him to do it at was something that inspired him, a place that perhaps inspired him when he was younger. And so he ended up choosing uh, Notting Hill because he spent a lot of time there when he was a young boy. And so that's where he chose to do his uh, plan for the week ahead. Nice. That's amazing. So folks, if you're listening in, uh, imagine three different places which you could go to, which inspire you, fill you up. And magnificent places that give you the right sort of energy to to plan your um, plan your next month, plan your next week, or maybe we're getting towards the end of the year now. Plan your twenty twenty two, and what does that look like? Um, Simon, I just want to uh, dive sort of well, we'll, we'll take off on a different tangent now because I want to know a little bit more about you and your entrepreneurial journey because you're. Um, you're incredibly well connected and I'm always surprised and amazed at some of the people that you kind of hook up with, where, you know, down in London, um, uh, you should go, all of you should go and check out Simon's Instagram. Cause I think there was a picture of Ronan Keating and Simon on there, um, from the weekend, which is, which is amazing. Um, but what, what, how did you get started in, in sort of, uh, on your journey as a, in business and then also as a coach? Sure. So my career started in the middle of 2007 and when I was a young boy, I grew up in a very traditional Chinese family, which meant they all wanted me to be top of the class, go to a good university, uh, get a job as a banker, a lawyer, a doctor, or an accountant. And so I ended up going down the banking route. Unfortunately, my timing was a little off because the year I joined happened to be the year before the global financial crisis. Yeah. And the company I started with was Lehman Brothers, which collapsed oh, no. into <laughs> administration in September 2008. So I had no idea that 14 months into my very first job, I would be looking for another job. 
and be facing this sort of threat of redundancy. Now, while it was, I'm sure those who have gone through redundancy can relate, while it was a nightmare and a pain of a situation at the time, in hindsight, it was probably one of the most beautiful blessings. Because even though I stayed in that industry for nearly a decade after, moving from job to job, uh, from company to company, it kickstarted my curiosity into wanting to become an entrepreneur. Because I realized that if I were to work for someone, there would be a limit as to what I could achieve. And there would always be someone else dictating how much I would get paid, what my bonus would be, and the title of what I could achieve in the next year. And so it wasn't until 2011, 2012, in which I came across uh, coaching as a potential avenue. I went to one of these two-day seminars in London that talked about uh, coaching as a skill and how we could use it to build a business. And I went along and by the end of it, I was inspired. And the question I came back to ask my, my now wife was, could I actually build an income, a full-time income doing coaching? And that thought stuck with me for months. And because it stuck with me, I decided to bite the bullet and to sign up for that course to be qualified as a coach. And within 18 months, I had my certificate. And that was the beginning, Robin, of becoming a coach and transitioning into doing that full time. So t- talk to me about that journey, because I think there's a lot of people who are listening to this um, who are in, 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 in mm. jobs making that transition. Maybe they've yeah. Um, they're, they're thinking about going part-time and then full-time into the coaching or consulting sort of space. Mm. What were you most afraid of in making that journey, that transition? I think it's a lot of the usual things, Robin. I mean, coming from a Chinese background, we are very stereotypically risk-averse. You know, especially myself, uh, growing up in the family in which everyone was in jobs. Uh, I... I was afraid of not having stability of income. You know, it's one thing where you can take your foot off the pedal, you can be ill for a few days, you can go on holiday for a week or two, and you still get paid at the end of the month. Versus, I have literally no idea how much money I'm going to make from month to month, especially in your first year or two of business. And I think that was the that was one of the biggest challenges. Uh, But mentally, the biggest challenge for me was the question, is this the right thing? Is this going to be a good decision? And the irony is, none of us know that ahead of time. None of us can predict if it's going to be right ahead of time. And so what I started doing, Robin, is many people in entrepreneur land, I think, glamorize this transition from corporate to entrepreneurship by saying you've got to burn the boats and you've got to jump into it, put all of your energy into it and go build your business. But for me, I started doing it on the side of my full-time job. And so the analogy that comes to my mind is I kind of felt like Superman, but without the superpowers. So I would walk into the office every morning with my, my white shirt, my tie and my suit. 
And after work or during lunch times, I would dash into the toilet, change out of my suit and into my now customary black t-shirt and jeans and go out to meet potential clients, go to seminars, go to conferences and events to start building my network. And so it was a very gradual transition from being in a full-time stable job to the uncertainty of running my coaching business full-time. Yeah, I, I get, I can totally, you know, one, one, I kind of went on the similar sort of journey myself, but you know, a long time ago, 2004, when I had to make, finally make that decision. But, mm. um, and then again in 2016, when I pivoted from one, from the business into coaching, but I, I could imagine pride was quite a major thing as well. Like what if this didn't work out, you know, and what do you tell your family and things like that? I can imagine that played quite sort of a lot on your mind as well. Yeah, it was, I mean, it, it was massive, like, especially because, there, especially with Asian families, there can be a lot of uh, pressure on uh, earning a lot of money, doing well, having something to show. And so at the beginning, I remember my dad would call me and he, he would spend a lot of time abroad with his work. And he would call me and he would say, Simon, how's the, uh, how's the job going? And I would tell some white lies. I, I would say, you know, the job's going well. I'm uh, still waiting to be promoted, but you know, same old, same old, uh, nothing exciting, but you know, just keeping at it. Yeah. In reality, I wasn't in the job. I was trying to, uh, experiment with business ideas and, uh, I was looking to build that coaching business out of literally nothing. Yeah. But I knew that if I shared too much too soon, there would be the additional pressure of voices around me saying, don't do that. Go back and get a job. And so I had to very carefully manage that environment so it didn't detract from my progress. Yeah, because it's quite easy to get easy to get derailed, isn't it? When you kind of, mm. um, you know, that internal external sort of validation starts to kind of, you know, swing around, and you have a have a bit of a dip one month, and it's, you know, that starts to, pay, you know, play on your mind and things like that. But what? So what was the point when eventually you said, "Hey, Dad, there's this thing that I've got to tell you. I've been wanting to tell you for a long time. What? What? How did that conversation go?" <laughs> I I think I started to give him clues early on. You know, I started to say to him, can you give me some advice on how to go about finding a good accountant? How would I go about setting up a company? So I think from those questions, he started to realize where my mind was going. And even when I told him, I don't think he understood the work that I was doing yeah. because he associated coaching with sports. Simon, why are you shifting industry from the corporate world to sports? Don't, doesn't it take you years to get those sports badges so you can coach teams? And I had to reassure him that it wasn't to do with sports. This was coaching in the professional industry for those in the corporate world and those who are running businesses. And I think the moment I knew that he understood what I was doing and he accepted it, was when he started sharing some of my social media posts, the videos I did, uh, the interviews I did. And when he started sharing that on his feed, I was like, I think he gets it now. And I think he's now supporting what I'm doing. 
It's, it's funny, isn't it? Because I, I had a similar sort of journey with my mum, actually, because I remember 2005, <laughs> she came home in one of the early early days of my business and I was pretty much banging my head on the desk because I'd had a god-awful day with the client and um, <laughs> it's my agency days. And she used those immortal words, didn't she? Oh, Robin, if you, if you thought maybe you should go and get a proper job... <laughs> It's like a dagger to the heart. It's like, thanks, mum, for the support. And then, um, but it wasn't until probably about a, a good decade later, I started running um, some local networking events. Mum had sort of recently gone semi-retired. Dad, my dad had passed away. So she was just interested. She wanted more stuff to do. So I said, well, come down. I'm running these events. Like, you get to see what I do. And and it was like, after the event, she was helping. She She's brilliant. She helped me set the, set the place up. She saw me speak. Like, it was amazing to have mum there. Uh, but I remember her saying to me afterwards, she was like, I finally get it. But she spent 10 years in the dark where I hadn't, I'd been trying to explain to her like what it was all about. But sometimes you do have to kind of experience, like experience these things. It's a bit like your dad living vicariously through your Instagram profile, your social media profiles. Like definitely, ha- definitely. parents have to see this stuff, don't they? And I think especially Robin, when it's uh, when it's a service business we are running, it's very difficult to know what it is you're doing until you experience it. Uh, I, I still remember when I, when I did some of my earlier events and I couldn't afford to have a photographer and videographer back then. And so I would bring my, bring my now wife along and she would do all of that media capture for me. And she was also in a full-time job at a time. And then one morning I knew the events were having an impact on her when she said, Simon, I think I want to quit my job as well. I think I want to start my own business as well. And I realized just how important it is to experience the work that we do yeah. because there's an energy that comes from it when you're passionate about what you do, when you love what you do, when there's so much that you can share with an audience, that energy comes across. There might not be any words in the language of energy, but you can feel it. You can feel it come into you and it moves us towards action. Hundred percent, and you have a. I normally ask a very different question actually to kind of wrap up my interviews. So, but yours, I've got a, a special question just for you to kind of um, look to wrap things up with. But you obviously have a recent new addition to your family as well. Mm. I'm just wondering, um, uh, it's a little boy or girl? I can't remember. Sorry, it's a little girl. Sienna. Little girl. Sorry. Yeah. So your little girl, when she when she grows up and she um, comes to you and she's like 15 or 16, I don't know, 17 or something, she <laughs> says, Daddy, um, I really want to start a business. Mm. What advice are you going to give her? For me, the one bit of advice I would give her is one I wish I had taken when I started, is start surrounding yourself with people who are already in business. Because that is going to be the fastest way for you to learn. You can read books, you can consume courses, you can go to events. But unless you have that constant immersion around people who are doing it day in and day out, you're not going to have progress fast enough that you would like. So start seeking out mentors, coaches, people that are where you want to be. And put yourself in their environment. Get yourself in and amongst those people. Because not only will they challenge your thinking, they will open your mind to an ocean of possibility. And I think that's such sage advice. Um, because 
you are, I mean, they say, don't you, you're the average mm. of the five people you hang out with the most. And one of the things which I've discovered being here, Sleepy Hill, mm. Cotswold, you know, where I am, I'm based, you know, you're down in London. There's loads of great, amazing mm. people, entrepreneurs around you. Sleepy Hill, Cotswold, it's a little bit sparse <laughs> in terms of like entrepreneurship here. Uh, it's still some amazing businesses, don't get mm. me wrong, but it's harder to see people. But, um, you know, you and I are on a, on a mastermind with, um, you know, several other people um, who are, I come off of those calls and I cannot tell you how inspired I am just to take action. I feel reinvigorated. I feel like I've just had a massive dose of like energy, you know, land on my lap. Um, and I, you need to be around those people to feed you. And it's not, again, it's not actually feeding this because you can read books to feed this. You can listen to audio books. You can, you know, watch, watch YouTube videos until the cows come home. But I find that that connection again is what feeds the soul and feeds the heart. And that that's where for me, like true entrepreneurship and true business leaders are born. Totally. You, you know, going back to what I said earlier, Robin, this power of environment, uh, I often get asked by people, well, Simon, how do you go about creating your environment? Because, you know, you, you spend time with some incredible thinkers, incredible people achieving uh, huge things in their, in their own industries. And what I say is that when you go about creating your environment, make sure that you are building diversity into it. Because I think too many entrepreneurs, when they first start, they, they spend nearly all of their time with people in their industry only. So when I first started building my coaching business, Robin, I, I purposely didn't choose to spend too much time around fellow coaches, not at the beginning anyway. Uh, and that's because I saw my fellow coaches just hanging around with other coaches. And I realized that if, if you only spend time learning from your competition, you can only be as good as your competition. And so what I wanted to deliberately do was to diversify my environment with people who were doing incredible things, but across very different industries. So in, in the last six months, as an example, you know, I've had a chance to catch up with, with a musician, with a BBC film director who got his first short film longlisted at the Oscars, a tech entrepreneur, a Michelin star chef, uh, a political advisor, a lord in the House of Lords. Now, while each of these people are doing very different jobs and businesses, what they all have in common is that they are inspiring and they want to make the world a better place. And what that does for you, as it does for me, is it gets you to think differently. It gets you to think creatively, more innovatively. And I think that is how we begin to stand out as businesses. It is how we begin to stand out amongst the noise. Again, because if we only focus on our competition, we can only be as good as our competition. When we focus on how other people are doing things outside of our industry, that is how we begin to think different. 100%, absolutely. And I know that you've gone and put a lot of this, I mean, this. I, I could, we could sit and chat for hours about all this stuff, but you've got a very exciting project that you're working on. Um, are, we allowed to, are we allowed to talk about this? Yes. The book? <laughs> yep. Go for it. Well, now's a good opportunity. So it's coming out next year. So there's a little bit of a wait yet, isn't there? I think it's April it's coming out. Yes. Um, so I'm super excited to get my hands on a copy of it. Yeah, so it's 21st of April next year. Uh, that's when the book is released. Uh, so at the moment, we are finalizing a list 
uh, of names to reach out for endorsements. And if we can land the the few names that we have at the top, uh, I think that would be fantastic for the book. Uh, but no, it's been an exciting journey. I'm not going to lie, Robin. It has also been a very challenging one. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think, and you can certainly relate having written multiple books. Uh, but when you are writing a book for the first time, uh, especially when the longest thing you've written before is a social media caption or a newsletter, uh, that itself is a challenging. Throw into the mix, becoming a parent for the first time, no family around, and a pandemic lockdown, uh, it makes it even more of a challenge. So it was a roller coaster, but uh, I'm I'm glad to be nearing the end of that stage of the journey. I think it it makes it all all the more satisfying. <laughs> I should think, knowing that you're kind of getting towards the end of that journey. Well, I always say as well, like people look at the the publishing process as being the end of the journey. I think it's actually just the beginning, totally. Because then you get totally. into the marketing and 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 that side of it, which creates a whole different gamut of sort of opportunity, like fun stuff. I should say as well, like fun opportunities and mm. conversations to be had and things like that. But it's it's a massive. Um, I'm super excited about your book. I can't wait to get my hands on a copy of it. Um, <laughs> is is there a way that um, can people pre-order it yet? Um, how can people get onto an early release? You've got a newsletter as well, I think. So I'm sure you'll be in yeah, there. Definitely. So if you want to pre-order a copy, and uh, I'm currently working on bonuses for pre-orders, by the way. So uh, do make sure to get your pre-order copy in because uh, there'll be some bonuses coming out in the next couple of months. Uh, you can go to my website uh, and there'll be a link at the top called book. Uh, you click there and you'll be taken to a place that you can pre-order. Uh, if you would like to also join uh, my mailing list, uh, there's also instructions on my website, simonalexanderong.com. Uh, otherwise, feel free to connect with me on Instagram and LinkedIn. Uh, those are the two platforms I use most often. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure that we share um, links to all of those resources in the show notes as well. Uh, don't forget, folks, if you've enjoyed this episode of the Fearless Business Podcast, please do drop us a little review on iTunes. It just helps other people to find the podcast. It helps us to connect with amazing guests um, like mm. Simon, uh, who you've been listening from today. Simon, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, I knew it would be nothing less than the, the best pleasure um, available out there. So um, I'm so grateful for you coming onto the podcast and sharing with us your thoughts about um, accelerating your growth as a business owner and uh, being energized and talking to us about your book. Robin, thank you so much for having me on. And I look forward to catching up with you again very soon. Absolutely. Absolutely.